Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Well, welcome to the next series uh, in our study of the Book of Acts, series three, where the gospel goes to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish communities are now the focus of the advance of the gospel and the advance of the church. And we left uh, the previous series after a fascinating couple of episodes looking at the conversion of Paul. We looked at the Damascus Road uh, encounter with the risen Jesus Christ and the astonishing things that happened to Paul in those early days. When he was in the city of Damascus for a few days in Arabia for three years in preparation, back in Damascus briefly, escaping dramatically when there was an assassination plot against his life, traveling to Jerusalem for the very first time to the headquarters of the church where the apostles were, and then having a difficult time initially connecting with the church because they were afraid that he, the previous arch persecutor, was uh, not truly converted to Christianity, but they found that he really was. And he formed a good relationship with the apostles there. He joined the uh, apostolic team. And so the persecution died down, which he had been leading. And so we ended series two on a very positive note. Every series comes to an end with a summary statement in uh, the words of Luke, where he just explains what the situation is now that uh, that particular series of events has come to an end. And I'm going to start this episode by just going back and briefly reminding us of what Luke says as a summary of all the events of series two. It's in Acts 9 and verse 31 where he says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And as I said in the last episode, here we have the first reference to the whole land of Israel having churches established in every one of the three major regions, Galilee in the north, Samaria in the middle, and Judea in the south. They enjoyed a time of peace because persecution had come to an end, and the church was strengthened as it was taught and built up in the faith by its leaders. And as the apostles traveled around, and that's going to be an interesting point because that's the theme of um, the events that occur now. The apostles in Jerusalem were responsible for this church in these three regions, in Galilee, Samaria, uh, and in Judea. And they traveled out from Jerusalem to keep an eye on things, to develop things, to preach, and to encourage the churches. And we see that the church was getting stronger and bigger. More people were coming to faith. Now, this this particular episode focuses on Peter. Peter is the senior apostle, the one appointed by Jesus to lead the apostolic team, and he's leading the apostles in Jerusalem. And we encounter him in this episode in one of many visits that he made to churches in this area. 
and he was traveling around, in fact, in Judea, the southern district, regions quite close to the city of Jerusalem where he was based. And Luke tells us this story to illustrate what was going on in verse 31 that we've just read. It illustrates the peace, no persecution. It illustrates the church being strengthened. It illustrates the fear of the Lord, the high level of discipleship. It illustrates the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and it illustrates above all the growth of the church numerically. So here we have Peter traveling around. This story, um, Remarkable Miracles in Judea, is an illustration of the amazing, wonderful, uh, spirit-filled situation that the church was in at that time. It's a very encouraging story. So let's read the first part of it, uh, Acts 9, verses 32 to 35. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. This is amazing. Peter's traveling around he comes to this place called Lydda, which is now known as Lod uh, in the nation of Israel and has a church there to this day. Um, he, he goes to this place, Lydda, and then there was a problem because here is Aeneas. We don't know why Aeneas was paralyzed. There are all sorts of possible reasons in, in that particular uh, uh, situation. Did he have a degenerative illness? Did he, had he had an accident? Was he very old? We don't know. But paralysis was hugely debilitating and of course it says he'd been eight years bedridden. Now this puts severe pressure on the family. There's no external support available in the ancient Middle East for people who have relatives who are paralyzed in the situation that uh, Aeneas found himself in. But he was in a church community. So doubtless the church community, and we know the church community was strong from everything we've just said, would be supporting him, praying for him, praying for his family. And then the apostle arrives. And they'd seen Peter before. Lydda is not far from Jerusalem. Many of these disciples will have visited Jerusalem. Some of them may have been converted on the day of Pentecost or in the months that followed. Um, and some of them had been traveling up and down. And, and Peter may well have visited Lydda before. It's very likely that he had. This was his area of responsibility. Geographically, it wasn't very far from Jerusalem. So Peter's coming to town. What an exciting moment. And Peter, amazingly, 
in an instant senses that the Holy Spirit is calling on him to step out in faith in a dramatic way. This isn't the first time Peter has done this, of course, even as recorded in the book of Acts. But he does it here very, very quickly. He senses intuitive, intuitively through the voice of the Holy Spirit that this is the time where God is going to demonstrate his power. And so he commands Aeneas to get up and roll up your mat. Now, this is a physically impossible task in all sorts of obvious ways. His muscles have wasted. He's l lost his physical capacity. How can he possibly do this? Only by an instantaneous miracle of astonishing proportions. This is very like the incident recorded in Acts 3 where Peter and John are entering the temple through the gate known as the beautiful gate and they see a man there who's been lame from birth who is 40 years old and Peter commands him to stand up and be healed. Now that was utterly impossible. Now here we have a similar impossibility. Aeneas has been bedridden for eight years. But this miracle had a very dramatic effect on the community. Luke makes an astonishing statement here. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Lydda is the name of the place. Sharon is the name of the district. It represents that a coastal district, uh, a low-lying district on the Mediterranean coast um, on the west side of the nation of Israel. In other words, the word got out to people. And such was the impact of the church already that many people were really open to the gospel. They'd seen many miracles before. They'd been up to Jerusalem. They'd seen the apostles in action. They'd heard about the day of Pentecost and all the things that had happened. They may have heard about the lame man who was healed at the beautiful gates. They've heard so many miracles and they've seen the incredible power of God kind of saturate their community. And sometimes we get in countries, communities that are saturated by the impact of the church, such as the effect of the church in a community, the sheer numbers of people who believe and the sheer power of their faith and the sheer uh, quality of the miracles that are coming out of that church. This is what we would call revival. And it's being described here uh, very briefly by Luke. And in this very short statement, we see that many people turn to the Lord. All those who lived in Lydda, this is a representation of people across the community. It doesn't necessarily mean every single individual. It just means that faith spread right the way across the area in large numbers as a result of this miracle and everything else that lay behind it and all the preaching of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? So this is illustrating what Luke has said in verse, chapter 9, verse 31, that summary statement. They're increasing. They're being strengthened. They're living in the fear of the Lord. They're growing. They're at a time of peace. No one's invading their meetings. No one's interrogating. No one's imprisoning. That period has passed for the time being and the church is in a situation of great opportunity. Now, this is not everybody's experience. 
The book of Acts describes the church in many different cultural contexts and situations, sometimes under extreme pressure, sometimes under temporary pressure, sometimes with lots of opposition, sometimes with lots of opportunity. There are all sorts of different contexts. This is one of the most positive contexts of the church that we see described in the book of Acts. And Peter capitalizes on this and no doubt preaches about Christ significantly to the people who come to the church in Lydda as a result of the healing of Aeneas. Well, to be honest, if the story ended there, that would be a pretty good story, wouldn't it? But it gets even better. So the next story is even more dramatic. Acts 9, verse 36 through to 43. This is describing a nearby town to Lydda by the name of Joppa, which was actually a seaport on the Mediterranean coast. Verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and he presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This, to me, is one of the most moving stories of the book of Acts. Here we focus on a very humble disciple, a background person, Dorcas. But really, she was a model disciple. It says she was always doing good and helping the poor, and her way of helping the poor was to make clothes for needy people. I hope you can imagine her. Somebody who truly loved Jesus, had truly found the Messiah, was a committed member of the church community, was deeply loved by members of the church community, as indicated by the level of their grief, particularly the widows, who just spent her time 
doing things for other people, especially with this gift of being able to make clothes for those in need. What a delightful portrait of a humble disciple. And yet she died. And these two men were sent to Lydda from Joppa with a sense of urgency because in the Jewish tradition, burial comes pretty soon after death. As in many modern cultures, there isn't a long gap between death and burial. And so the body was awaiting burial in the room and the two men were sent as a matter of urgency. If Peter comes quickly before the funeral and the burial, then maybe another miracle could happen. If Aeneas can be raised up from paralysis, perhaps Dorcas can be raised up from death itself. Wow, they must have had some faith, those two men. I imagine them running some of the journey or getting on a mule or horseback and getting there as fast as they possibly could. Peter, Peter, come with us before the burial. There's a lady in our church who's died. She's a wonderful lady. We're so sorry to lose her. Surely God can do something, especially if you come, because we know at the hands of the apostles, signs and miracles take place in a remarkable way. It's one of the characteristics of who the apostles are. We know that. We've seen you perform miracles. Come with us. I wonder what Peter thought while he was traveling from Lydda to Joppa, knowing he was going to be faced with a woman lying prepared for burial and people weeping and mourning around in a sense of great loss. That puts pressure on you, doesn't it? What was Peter thinking as he traveled down? He must have been praying, Lord, what are you going to do? And in his mind, not only was he praying, but Peter would be recollecting things that had happened that he remembered. And as he traveled from Lydda to Joppa, I imagined that he remembered the three resurrections that Jesus performed in his ministry that are recorded in the Gospels. There were almost certainly others, but there are three recorded and the notable thing about them is Peter was present in each case. He was present when a man came to Jesus as he was traveling along and saying, a man called Jairus saying that his daughter had, uh, was on the point of death or dying and, and he had to come quickly. And Peter was present when Jesus went to his house and the, all the crowds had gathered mourning and, and he pushed them away and he closed the door with this dead girl lying here with, with the parents. And who else? Peter, James and John. Nobody else. And he raised the little girl up. Peter remembered this. He knew that resurrections were possible. He also remembered the occasion when the apostles uh, the dis as disciples then were walking along the road to a town called Nain in southern Galilee. And there was a, a crowd of people with them, Jesus walking ahead. And as they approached the town, they saw coming out of the town 
a funeral party who met them on the road just outside the town of Nain, where a widow's only son could be seen laid out on a funeral carriage heading literally for the burial site just outside the village. Peter was there. Peter remembered how Jesus raised up this son for this widow. And Peter was there when Jesus came into the village of Bethany near Jerusalem where a man called Lazarus was actually in the tomb and had been there several days. And his sisters Mary and Martha, friends of Jesus from previous visits, were pleading with him. Lord, is it too late? Can you do anything? And then Peter actually saw Jesus command the man buried to come out of the tomb. And all that happened after that. So as he travelled along from Lydda to Joppa, he remembered these things. And he also remembered that Jesus had commissioned the apostles with power and told them that they would perform signs and miracles. In fact, Paul says on one occasion that miracles and signs and wonders are uh, an indication of true apostleship. And Peter was now faced with the, the issue that maybe God wanted to do, to do a resurrection miracle through him. We've no record that he'd raised anyone from the dead up to this point. We have got record of him performing remarkable miracles for many people. But he sensed deep down this was the moment for something to happen that was right at the extreme end of his faith. And so he comes into the room, he kneels down and prays. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. What an astonishing event took place on that occasion. And not surprisingly, in the town of Joppa, this port city, Luke records that this became well known. And many people believed in the Lord. So the church develops again through these signs and miracles. And Peter stays on in the time in the town of Joppa and stays with a man called Simon the Tanner. And this will become significant in our next remarkable story. But before we get there, we need to step a little bit back and just reflect. What do we learn from this incredible story? What reflections do we have? The first one that I have is that God is sovereign over hostile circumstances. It didn't look as though it was going to turn out this way a little time beforehand when the persecution was really strong. And it's easy to forget that. <clears throat> Paul was organizing the persecution. The high priests were organizing it. They were mobilizing a lot of people. They were going through Jerusalem and they were no doubt 
going through the towns of Judah looking for Christians. Towns like Lydda and Joppa. And that process was very, very difficult for the church. There was a scattering. People were moving from place to place, watching out for these religious uh, leaders and their appointed representatives coming into the different towns. But it all stopped because Saul or Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and changed his view completely and the persecution petered out. It, it slowed down, it stopped. There's no record of it here. It doesn't look like there's any opposition at all. So God is sovereign even in the difficult circumstances of persecution and opposition. And usually persecution and opposition comes and it goes. It varies. Even when some of you will be living in countries which have a formal position against the church and they have laws and rules against Christian assembly and conversion. But the implementation of those laws and rules will vary from time to time. Opportunities will come because God is sovereign over that situation and his purpose will always prevail. Now this time of peace didn't last forever. It was only for a period of time. But during that time, the church grew significantly. God is sovereign over hostile circumstances and can turn them for good. My second reflection is to think a little bit further about Dorcas, a person who's always fascinated me in the story of the book of Acts. We can see the quality of this person a servant heart with a gift of mercy and kindness and compassion to people that must have characterized many of these early disciples. And she exemplifies something that Peter and Paul spoke about on another occasion. When Peter and Paul met on a subsequent occasion, they were discussing, as recounted in Galatians chapter 2, the exact message they were preaching and just checking that Paul's message was exactly according to what Peter's message was. Uh, and there was a conference between Paul and Barnabas on the one side and Peter and some of the other apostles in Jerusalem on the other. And they agreed that they were preaching the same message. But Peter then made a surprising statement to Paul, which is recorded in Galatians 2 verse 10. And it says, all they asked was that we, Paul and Barnabas, should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So Peter was essentially saying, in the churches that I oversee, amongst the Jewish people, that's the very churches we're talking about in this passage, in places like Judea, one key characteristic of the church is a priority of meeting the needs of the poor people in the community as well as in the church. Paul, when you travel to other countries outside the Jewish area, amongst all the Gentile nations and ethnic groups, do you make sure that the church is reaching out to people in need in those communities? And Paul said, yes, Peter, that's what we do. And Peter was reassured. There was a priority in the early church to find 
needy people, vulnerable people in the community, and to prioritize reaching out to them. And Dorcas is a classic example of this from the very earliest days. She did it out of a heart and a gift, but also out of teaching from the apostles that this really mattered. She's an example of the priority of the church to remember the poor. What does that mean for your church community? It means very different things in different parts of the world, in different countries, in different societies, with different economies and different situations. But always in every community, there are vulnerable and needy people and God gives us the grace as church communities to help them. And in doing so, we are being a New Testament church. And Dorcas is a human example of exactly that reality. And we just catch a brief glimpse of it in this story. And she's in the story because of the resurrection from the dead. But the biography of her tells us something about the characteristic of the early church that Peter very much valued and asked Paul to continue the same priority. My third application concerns faith. Faith can grow. Here is a situation of Peter where his faith has grown over the years. We know that he stumbled along the way in the time of Jesus' ministry, didn't get all things right. He didn't always believe everything that Jesus said. He stumbled along the way. He was learning what it was to have faith. And we can see that his faith has grown through the years of Jesus' ministry. We see that he's learned from his mistakes, that he's come to believe Jesus' words to him more and more sincerely, so that when it comes to the day of Pentecost, preaching the gospel and when it comes to praying for the Holy Spirit to come on people when it comes to performing miracles he has a sense of confidence and faith in the book of Acts that he didn't have before his faith is growing and I just wonder whether even in this case Peter's faith grew a little bit more because this was a miracle of the highest order the most impossible situation to raise somebody from the dead it may well have been the first time it happened in his ministry now, we can learn from this. We're not apostles, given that quality of power necessarily. But we have been given faith and we have been called upon to believe God for miracles. So the challenge to me from this passage and the challenge to you, I trust, is that our faith grows as we read these stories in the book of Acts. It would be a tragedy if we look at the story and think these things can never happen in the modern world. They certainly can, and they are happening all over the world. There are many stories that we can tell of these miracles. But our responsibility is to allow Scripture to uh, strengthen our faith and to teach us. So I would encourage you to think, how can my faith grow? What faith challenge is God putting before me? There was a faith challenge from Peter as he walked from Lydda to Joppa to enter into a new realm of the supernatural. What's the faith challenge before you today? Identify it, pray about it, and step out in faith. I look forward to see you in the next episode. 
You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.